hope you'll take your Bibles and open to 2 Timothy chapter 2. 2 Timothy 2. I'll never forget the day when Parker, our oldest, was born. His stands out because he was born by emergency C-section after several days of waiting. And the moments right before and right after his birth were wild. There was like a storm of activity, doctors and nurses everywhere. For me and Michelle, there were some moments of fear and uncertainty about what was happening and what was going to happen. Then by God's grace and through the work of some good doctors and nurses, Parker was born and he was healthy and Michelle was healthy and the surgery was over and everyone was good. And at that time, the doctors took Michelle to a room to rest and recover. And they took me and Parker, Parker and I, they took us to a nursery and this, this nurse, you know, hands me Parker and I have a chair and then she leaves and this is probably the first time in my life when I've been in a room alone with a baby, right? This is, this is brand new to me. And I start to realize that no one's going to come and, and take him. He's, he's mine. He's ours. In that moment, it just really settles in the responsibility that I, ha- I have now. And we sat there, I think... Five minutes or an hour. I was just there talking to this guy who I didn't know. Discussing how, how happy I was, scared I was, and how I wanted to do right by him and right by God, but I wasn't sure how to do it, but that we worked together. <laughs> I just remember holding him and thinking, this is an incredible stewardship. And praying and asking God to help me be faithful with what had been entrusted to me. This week, as I was reading back through 2 Timothy, I was reminded of stewardship and responsibility. What we have in this letter is Paul passing a responsibility and a stewardship on to Timothy. And I guess I, I thought about that story because I was just thinking what it would feel like for Timothy. Now, he had been faithful. He had been a minister of the gospel, but to get a letter from Paul just telling him in a really kind of final feeling way, it's your turn. You've been called to guard the gospel, to protect the gospel, to share the gospel, to continue the work that God started through the apostles and was carried on through Paul. And now he's telling Timothy, you're the guy. Incredible stewardship. And of course, we know, church, that this is the stewardship that we have inherited, right? It's been passed down to us. We stand on the shoulders of generation after generation of faithful men and women who have guarded the gospel and protected the gospel and shared the gospel. And and now it's to us. And we have this calling, this good deposit that has been entrusted to us. The thing is, if we are taking this responsibility seriously, we should be asking questions. I sat in that, that nursery at St. David's and just asked, okay, so, so what do I do, right? What does this look like? And these are the kinds of questions we should be asking as we consider the stewardship we've been given of the gospel. 
And, and can I just encourage you, church, not to think about this as some big global thing that the big C church is doing, but it is. But can I encourage us to just think about ourselves? Those of us in this room, that we as Southern Hills have been given a stewardship and that God has given us provision and he has sustained us, not just for what we can gain by being together, but so that we can do the work of the gospel among ourselves and for the world. And the question is, are we being good stewards? And the follow-up question would be, what does that look like? How do we do that? Thankfully, as Paul wrote this letter to Timothy, he didn't just tell him he had a stewardship, but he, he gave him some instructions about what this stewardship should look like. And as we come to chapter 2 of this letter, we get into more of the instructions. Chapter 1 was this big, don't be ashamed, right? Guard the good deposit. And Timothy's saying, how do I do it? And, and we, we start getting some of that here in, in chapter 2. Uh, let me say this. Um, I told Michelle last night, I'm not sure I like this sermon. I tell her that sometimes. I'm not sure I like this one. It's God's word, so it's good for us. It's able to transform us, right? But I told her, I said, it's a lot of do this. And my favorite sermons are God is glorious, right? And the gospel is good. God is kind and strong. And, and this, I just want to tell you, we're doing, called to do all this because God is glorious and the gospel is good and Christ is kind and gracious. And so we're going to get to that at the very end, but I just wanted to just kind of get that off my chest and tell you what we're called to here is worth it because of what Christ has done, okay? 2 Timothy chapter 2, let's start in verse 1. Hear the word of God. You then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And what you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses and trust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Share in suffering as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. An athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. Think over what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. This is the word of the Lord. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. So if you were here for the end of chapter 1, chapter 1 ended like this. Paul had been telling Timothy to, to guard the gospel, to steward the gospel. And then he talks about the fact that there came a time when almost everyone deserted him. Remember this? He says, everyone in Asia left me. And it's pro he's probably talking about when he was arrested. Now, now there was this one good brother, Onesiphorus, who, who came and encouraged him and, and helped him. But Paul's saying, everyone else turned away. That's how the, the chapter ends. And he's writing to Timothy saying, you, don't be afraid. Stand firm. Stand for the gospel. Everyone else is left. And he says there in verse 1, chapter 2, you then, my child, 
because of the gospel of grace that we talked about, verses 8 and 9 of chapter 1, because of that gospel, you've been entrusted with it. Most people have abandoned it. You then, Timothy. And then he starts giving some instructions about what Timothy should do. But did you notice how he begins? The first thing he tells Timothy to do, verse 1, you then, my child, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And I am so thankful that he starts there. He's preparing Timothy for this work. And the first thing he tells them is, you can't do it on your own. You can't do it in your own power. If you're going to be faithful to this work, you need a power that comes from outside of you. Run to the grace of God for strength. Paul knows human nature, doesn't he? Because this is human nature. To put our heads down and to push forward. Our nature is to think that we can figure it out. If we try hard enough, we can make it work. And we even do junk like that in the church. Right? And yet we get this reminder at this very beginning of this instruction. Run to the strength that is found in the grace of Christ. It's our only hope. As I read this, it, it, it kind of was reminiscent to me of the conversation that, that Timothy, or excuse me, Paul had with God in 2 Corinthians chapter 9. You, you remember this. Paul has this weakness that he calls a thorn in the flesh. And he goes to God and he prays over and over and over, God, would you take this away? I feel weak. You remember God's response. He says to him there in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. And Paul says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. It's a lesson that Paul had learned. It's a lesson we need to learn, right? Church, I know you, you want to be faithful with the gospel. You want to be a part of stewarding well what God has entrusted to us. And yet, if we try to do it in our own strength, we will fail. We must, we must have the, the, the testimony of Paul. We will boast all the more gladly in our weakness so that the power of Christ may rest upon us. Paul says the same thing another way earlier in 2 Corinthians. Chapter 3, he says, Such is the confidence that we have through Christ toward God. Not that we are sufficient in ourselves to claim anything as coming from us, but our sufficiency is from God, who has made us sufficient to be ministers of the new covenant. Wow. We are not sufficient for these things. We rely on the sufficiency and the strength that comes to us through Christ. In chapter 1, Paul is telling Timothy, don't be ashamed. Be ready to suffer do it all by the power of God. You can just look past across the page back to chapter 1. It's come up a few times already. 
he's, he's telling Timothy to do these things, but all along he tells him, you can't do it in your own strength. Go, uh, chapter 1, verse 7. God gave us a spirit, not of fear, but of power and of love and of self-control. Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me, his prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel. How? By the power of God. Look down to verse 13, chapter 1. Follow the pattern of sound words that you have heard from me in the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus by the Holy Spirit that dwells within us. Guard the good deposit entrusted to you. We're just a little ways into the letter, and already three times distinctly he has told Timothy, if you're going to do this, you must do it, not in your own strength, not by your own power, but by the power of God and the strength that he supplies. After service, we're going to spend some time talking about things that I'm praying that God will do through us. If anything is to come of it, it must come through our reliance on the grace and the strength of God. Can I be honest? I have to confess this all the time. Let me just open up my prayer journal and share this with you. I feel like I can do it on my own. And the way that manifests itself is I jump into hard things without praying about it, right? Without seeking God's face. Maybe you've done that too. You're halfway through a hard conversation and you realize I'm just trying to muscle this thing. We even go so far as to believe that we can convince someone to to, do, to, to repent of their sin. That we can convince someone to change their heart. That we can convince someone to follow Christ faithfully. And so we jump into it with all of our might and all of our text messages and all of our calls and all of our appeals. Throwing our stuff on the floor. And, and we fail to seek the strength and the grace of God which is the only way we accomplish anything. How do we steward well the gospel that's been trusted to us? The first thing Paul tells Timothy right out of the gate, faithful gospel ministry is strengthened by grace. Second, faithful gospel ministry is marked by discipleship. Verse 2. What you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Back at the beginning when we started 2 Timothy, we talked quite a bit about the relationship between Paul and Timothy. Years before this, some say 15 years maybe, uh, Paul had invited Timothy to come with him to, be, to join him in ministry, and the two of them they went on missionary journeys. They traveled from place to place. And Paul would teach and preach the message of Christ. And Timothy was there hearing that message, learning the truth, learning the nuances of the gospel. To use a word from that, that, that we use, Timothy had been discipled by Paul. To use the words of 2 Timothy 1, the good deposit has been entrusted to him by Paul. He knows the message of Christ. He knows the gospel. And now Paul is writing to Timothy from a Roman prison, 
knowing that his life is nearing an end, and he wants to be really clear about this. It's Timothy's turn. It's his turn to take what he has heard and learned in the presence of many witnesses and pass it on. And, and yet, I think we're oversimplifying the verse if we think this is just Paul telling Timothy, share the gospel. It, it's more than that. In fact, I think he's actually telling him, raise up preachers, right? He gives these two qualifications. He says, take what you've heard from me and entrust it, not to everybody, but entrust it to faithful men who are able to teach. If, if you remember the first letter that Paul wrote to Timothy, there's a whole section there in the second chapter where he gives the qualifications of pastors and elders and deacons. And I think this is kind of in the same, the same world here. He's telling him, this is what must happen next. You must find faithful men, men who are godly and reliable and steadfast. And you must find men who are, who are able to teach and and entrust this message with them. Why? So that they can teach others. He's giving them this method of pastoral development and multiplication. Raise up men who can teach and lead the people of God, and then get them to do the same thing again. And this is how the, the message will be guarded and protected and stewarded and shared. I think that's what he's telling Timothy. And yet, we should also consider this that we all have the calling to take what we've heard and share it with others so that they can take what we share with them and share it with others. Most of you are not pastors called to train pastors, but every Christian has been called to make disciples. Every Christian has been called to share the gospel, to help others grow it's the message that Jesus gave to his disciples just before he left, isn't it? Matthew 28. Jesus came to him and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. Our call is to be disciples who make disciples. And can I just ask you really honestly, friend, how are you doing with that? Who is it that you're investing in? We come together and, trust me, I'm thankful that some of you have been coming here for years and we've been hearing the word of God together and trying to grow in our understanding of the gospel. And I recognize there are some seasons where we're just hanging on to it, just trying to keep ourselves in the boat, Right? But there's lots of seasons when we should be investing in others. And the question is, who is that for you right now that you're investing in to whatever extent you're able? As Paul gets ready to, to leave, he, he's reminding Timothy, you've been entrusted with this. As a parent, I know the responsibility of stewardship. I've been entrusted with four boys, I'm to provide for them and to protect them and to raise them in the way of the Lord. It's been entrusted to me. And in the same way, the people of God have been entrusted with the gospel. The question is, are you being faithful 
to know it and to share it. It is a big responsibility. We probably don't feel the weight of it enough. Timothy's getting this message. And it's one thing for me to tell you, because I'm telling you, and so you're thinking, I can meet up at Starbucks with Carl, and we can read the Bible together, right? And that'll be a sacrifice for you, because it would take time, and it would cost six bucks, right, to buy that coffee. And it's going to be an investment of time and, and energy. But you know what Timothy's hearing here? When Paul tells him, this is your calling, he recognizes he's getting a letter that was being written from a prison, and that Paul was about to die because he had done this. And now he has said, I think four times already, share in suffering. Suffer like I've suffered. Do this and know you'll die. It's basically the, the message. How could Timothy take on something like that? How's that even possible? Well, the first thing Paul said is, be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ Jesus, right? Draw on that strength and then do the hard work. And the same is for us. Timothy had a hard calling, and that becomes even more clear as we keep reading. Verse 3, share in suffering as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. I just mentioned it, but this it comes up over and over and over. Um, already to this point, and then through the rest of the letter, there is no question, Paul is very clear, as if Timothy didn't already know it, this will not be easy. Look back at verse 1, uh, excuse me, verse 8 of chapter 1. He says, Don't be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord, nor of me as prisoner, but share in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Verse 11. I was appointed a preacher, an apostle, and a teacher, which is why I suffer, because I do. Chapter 3, verse 12. Just in case you think this is unique to Paul or unique to Timothy. Chapter 3, verse 12. Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Chapter 4, verse 5. As for you, always be sober-minded. Endure suffering. Do the work of an evangelist. Fulfill your ministry. Here's the point. Paul is not leaving any room for question or doubt. Timothy will suffer for the sake of the gospel. Back to our passage, he says, share in suffering as a good soldier. So we get this metaphor. He's calling Timothy a soldier. He's referring to Christ as the commanding officer. I think we should read into this. And again, this isn't even our kind of soldier. Being a soldier today is hard. Now think about being a soldier in Rome. It's a hard calling. And he says, be a good soldier. Follow Christ. Share in suffering. Probably not surprised to, a surprise to Timothy that, that this is being said. And yet... It is said, and it's said, I think, in part for us to hear. If we are going to be faithful in serving Christ, there will be sacrifice. And we're told this over and over in the scriptures. If we love the things he loves, if we hate the things he hates, if we're honest and clear about the truth, 
we will face opposition. We will be rejected. Part of sharing the gospel with one another is being willing to have hard conversations with one another about sin, right? Calling each other to repentance. And if you do that, it may not go well, right? I, I think that all follows an, under this umbrella of sometimes there will be suffering for the sake of the gospel. People won't like you. Jesus said to his disciples in John 15, A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours. And we probably will not experience it the same way first century Christians did or the same way some of our brothers and sisters, even today in other parts of the world, do. But this is for us because... If we are faithful, we will be opposed. So don't be surprised. Share in suffering. So what does that look like? It's at this point we get these three metaphors. And I've, I've heard these kind of pulled out a lot, but I do think that these three metaphors support what's just been said. Share in suffering. How do we share in suffering? How do we live? How do we move forward? How do we move knowing that this may be hard? He gives us three pictures. He tells Timothy to be like a soldier, to be like an athlete, and to be like a farmer. We'll just look at each of them briefly. First, suffer hardship like a soldier. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Verse 4. Since his aim is to please the one who enlisted him. So our first picture or metaphor to help us answer the question, how do we remain faithful in the midst of suffering or hardship for the sake of the gospel? And I think the first answer is we must be single-minded and put off anything that would distract us from our mission. He describes a soldier. And when a soldier's living the way he's supposed to live, he's all in. A soldier can't be on the battlefield thinking about all the other things that, that are going on. His mission requires this, this single-mindedness, a commitment to avoid distractions and anything that would pull him away. He says, no soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. Now, I've heard some people take this verse and you do weird things with it, like um, a pastor should never have a job other than pastoring because he would be entangled in civilian um, pursuits or the argument that Christians should be completely in every way cut off from the world, don't have a TV because it's the civilian pursuit. There's all kinds of crazy, that's not kind, extreme things that are proposed under the guise of this verse. I want to caution us against that. But at the same time, Paul is making a point that as the people of God, we should want to please God alone. He is the commanding officer. He's the one leading the charge. And our focus should be on pleasing him. And that will mean, church, that our lives will look different than the world around us. Our values should be different. The way we use our time should be different. No soldier gets entangled in civilian pursuits. His aim is to please the one who enlisted him. Now, how does that relate to suffering? Well, Paul's telling Timothy, you're going to suffer. Share in suffering. 
and yet keep your eyes fixed. Here's the thing. If we want the things the world wants and suffering looks like losing those things, we will struggle to be faithful. If we love money the way the world loves money and being faithful to Christ means we make less money, then we're going to struggle to be faithful to Christ. If we want power the way the world wants power and following Christ means we don't get power, then we may struggle to be faithful to Christ. And you can fill in your own temptations there. The charge is be single-mindedly focused on Christ. And don't get so wrapped up in the things of the world, civilian pursuits, that you would fall easily in the face of opposition. Be like a soldier. Be like an athlete. Some of you are, I am an athlete. He says here, an athlete is not crowned unless he competes according to the rules. Now, we could go and read Paul. Paul uses athletic analogies a lot. Um, he talks about the Christian life being like a race. And we, we should run to the finish. He talks about the discipline that an athlete needs and that the Christian life should be a life of discipline and self-control. He talks in another place about an athlete needing endurance, and the Christian life requires endurance. So there's all kinds of ways that Paul uses the same metaphor, and they're not all making the same point. Here, it's, it's pretty specific. He's talking about how in athletics, there are rules. For every competition, there are rules. And an athlete cannot win, can't be crowned, unless he follows the rules. So here's the point. Paul wants Timothy to know, if you live and serve Christ faithfully, you will suffer. If you try to avoid suffering, you're living unfaithfully. The charge is compete according to the rules. Live the way Christ has called you to live. Be a steward of the gospel. Guard the gospel. Share in suffering. And the way you receive the reward is to compete according to the rules. Does that make sense? If you're faithful, you will suffer. Suffer faithfully. Compete according to the rules, and then there is reward. For us, when we think reward, we think trophies and medals. For them, it was wreaths or crowns. Paul actually talks about crowns again in chapter 4. He says in verse 7, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. Henceforth there is laid up for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day. And not only to me, but to all who have loved his appearing. It's not an exact um, commentary for our verse in chapter 2, but the same sense of be faithful, Right? Follow the rules. Compete as a Christian. Have the single-mindedness of a soldier. Have the dedication of an athlete. And the work ethic of a hard-working farmer. Verse 6. It is the hard-working farmer who ought to have the first share of the crops. How do we stay faithful in the midst of hardship and suffering? He says, be like that hard-working farmer. 
Farming takes long hours. It's outside work. It's hours in the dirt. And farmers back then, they're not using air-conditioned computerized tractors. They're, they're farmers now. I've, 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 I've seen on stuff. I watch online when I'm wasting time. There's, they just sit at home with a tractor and, knows and like maps, has already mapped out the field, and it just does it. That's not this, right? No, these are men who dig in the dirt with their hands. They pull weeds with those same hands. They fight off animals with those same hands. They work hard. And if they didn't, then there wouldn't be a harvest. Paul's telling Timothy, as you serve Christ, be like that hard-working farmer. There will be hardship. There will be suffering. But the one who endures will receive the reward. The farmer earns his share of the crops. We've got these three metaphors. How do we, how do we just keep doing the work faithfully? Well, first, be like a soldier who's single-minded. Second, be like an athlete who, who knows what's expected and does it. Third, be like the farmer who, who works hard, who does what's necessary. And if that sounds to you like just a lot of pull up your own boots, what, what's the... You pull them up yourself? Yeah. It sounds like that. Just go back and read verse 1 again where he says, Be strengthened by the grace that is in Christ. Don't do it in your own strength. Do it by, by his strength. He doesn't compare the work of the ministry to a resort life or a holiday at the beach or a calm down the lake. He says, Be like a soldier. Be like an athlete. Be like a hardworking farmer. And I wonder if that, that is even close to describing the way you think about the Christian life and what God's given you to do. Yeah. I think sometimes we can be tempted just to kind of have this as kind of our side thing. <laughs> and yet Christ calls us to self-denial and to sacrifice. Jesus says in Matthew 16, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. I told you earlier I didn't love this sermon. I should take that back. This is, this is God's word for us. But isn't, isn't it fun to think Christ provides joy and he provides peace and he provides comfort. And I love sharing those things with you. And yet the call of Christ isn't just to get the joy and to get the peace and to get the comfort and to be content, Right? No, the call is, be like a soldier, be like an athlete, be like a farmer. Do the work of the ministry and do it with the joy of Christ and the peace that he's granted and the comfort that's yours in him. Friends, we have all of that and we've been entrusted with it to share it with others. When you hear that, you think, I need a witness to my coworker, and that's true. Or I need to call my cousin, or that's sharing the gospel. Sharing the gospel is also having good conversations with one another about what it means to be in Christ and to honor him, right? We preach the gospel to the world. We preach the gospel to each other. We preach the gospel to ourselves. Insert here a plug for a ladies' life group tonight right? Come and invest in one another, right? 
The Christian life is the life of a soldier and an athlete and a farmer, and it takes work. It takes tilling up the soil of our hearts. It's going to take some time. It's going to take some commitment. What does this look like for us? Timothy's reading this letter, and come on, Paul, what do you mean? Soldier, athlete, farmer. You see verse 7? It's one of those things that kind of makes me smile. Paul says to Timothy, think over what I say. Just think about it. And the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And isn't this what we're called to do with God's word? Think about it. Think about what's been said and allow God to give you understanding. This is a high calling. And there will be questions about what it looks like. How much is too much? How far is too far? What does discipleship really look like? How do we know if we're being good soldiers and dedicated athletes and hardworking farmers? Paul says, think over what I say. And the Lord will give you understanding and everything. And I, th- I think for us, this, this verse 7, just, it just calls me back to the scriptures, right? What does God want for us? We keep looking to the word. Think about what he says and recognizing that it's through his word that he does his work and gives us direction. I hope you want to follow him faithfully. I hope you desire to be used by him. And I do want to end by reminding you what it is we're striving for. What it is that we're to pass on. Why it's so significant that it's worth our lives. And we're actually going to spend all of next week on it. I haven't written next week's sermon, but I'm already excited about it. It's going to be a good one. should be here. Verse 8. Remember Jesus Christ, risen from the dead, the offspring of David, as preached in my gospel. This is the motivation. This is the reason. This is the the heart. This is the why. The why is because God loved us so much that he sent his son to die for us. The why is that forgiveness is available. The why is that Sinful man can be reconciled to God. The why is that eternal life instead of eternal punishment is available. It's because we have Christ that we have eternal hope and peace and joy. If you're here and you have no idea why someone would come here on a Sunday morning just to be given this charge to go and to do, this is the why. Because Christ came and he died so that we could have life abundantly and eternal. Forgiven. Reconciled. And it's available to anyone who will repent of their sins and trust him. And church, we have been called to take this glorious gospel to the world. Paul says in verse 10, here's him applying everything we've just talked about. Verse 10, he says, Therefore, because of Christ, I endure everything for the sake of the elect, 
that they also may obtain salvation that is in Christ Jesus with eternal glory. The saying is trustworthy. For if we have died with him, we will also live with him. If we endure, we will also reign with him. If we deny him, he will also deny us. If we are faithless, he remains faithful. For he cannot deny himself. We get to spend some time there next week. It's our hope. It's the message for which we should give our lives. May we be faithful stewards of what has been entrusted to us. Let me pray for us. God,